Well, good morning. Welcome again to St. Paul's. We're so glad that you are here or joining with us online. As I begin, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you send your spirit to be upon us, to be in us, to surround us, to drown us, that we might know you and hear in your written word, your living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask it in his name. Amen. So, you know how you never do touristy stuff in your own city? That's why it took me ages to go to the CN Tower after we moved to Toronto. And when I got up there, I finally found what I was missing in my life, which is the sense of abject terror that comes from standing on a glass floor staring down at a thousand feet of empty air. If you haven't been up the CN Tower, they've got this section of glass floor that you can stand on. And it's the funniest thing, because you know you're up high, that's the point, and even as you're as courage-challenged around heights as I am, my palms are sweating right now, you can look out the windows, admire the nice view, because the floor is the floor, and you feel like you're on the ground. But then you come across this little patch of engineered sadism, this glass floor, and it reminds you that you are, in fact, suspended in midair. Life is kind of like that. You can walk around most of the time like it makes sense, like you're safe. But sometimes you have a moment, maybe it's a death, maybe it's standing looking at the stars, where you step onto the glass floor of existence and you remember how small and fleeting you are. How we're just specks floating in the middle of 874 billion trillion kilometers of vacuum. And you wonder what we're even doing here. Today is the second of four weeks of teaching on God the Holy Spirit, and there's a lot of confusion about what the, who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, and hopefully we're going to clear some of that up over this series. And today is also Trinity Sunday, the day in the church year right after Pentecost when we celebrate the full revelation of God as Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you think there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit, there is even more about the Trinity. So we've got a lot to do today, but whether you are brand new visiting or a lifelong Christian, I'm going to ask you to hang with me because I think that what we're talking about today is worth the ride. And my job today, which might be viewed as a punishment detail from Bishop Jenny, just kidding, is to talk about the Holy Spirit in relation to the Trinity. How do we understand the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity? And I'm going to give away the punchline. What this sermon is fundamentally about is how the Holy Spirit unites the Christian to the Trinity. And if that sounds metaphysical and dry, let me say that you're half right. It is metaphysical, but you're the one who decided to come to church this morning. And if you just want a better life for the here and now, there's keto and CrossFit and Marie Kondo. It is metaphysical, but it's not dry, or it doesn't have to be. It's not irrelevant. It's not esoteric. In fact, our unity with the Trinity through the Holy Spirit is the foundation of our spiritual life. Not just having faith, but living it. It's about walking out onto the glass floor of existence and looking down. It's about living on purpose instead of on autopilot. And I'd go so far as to say you should demand nothing less from a church, whether this one or any other. If we are not inviting you into the life in the Holy Spirit, which is unity with the Trinity, and we are not helping you walk that walk, then we are cheating you. Because going to church without life in the Holy Spirit is like going to an auto racetrack without fast cars. A racetrack 
is a means to an end, the race. And the church is a means to the end of life in the Holy Spirit, the dynamism, the power of a life lived in the presence of the living God, a life united with the Trinity through the Spirit. So that's where we're headed, and we're going to get there in three steps. First is a crash course on the Trinity. The second is how the Holy Spirit unites us with the Trinity. And the third, how this can be real for you. So first, what is the Trinity? Well, the Trinity is simply the Christian understanding of who God is. Christians, along with our Jewish and Muslim friends, say that there is only one God. But unlike Judaism and Islam, Christians believe that the one God is triune. Triune, a unity of three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The classical shield of faith illustrates these relationships. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Each is God and all together are God and none is the other. So the Trinity isn't three gods working together as a team. It's not one God wearing three different masks at various points in history. It's certainly not God evolving or changing from God the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is the understanding that there is one God and that the one God is essentially, timelessly, fundamentally relational. That the one God consists of three persons, as they're traditionally called, who are in eternal relationship with love with one another. And here's the spoiler alert. It's precisely this relationship of love that the Holy Spirit invites us into, joining us to the beating heart of God. That's what we're talking about this morning, nothing less. Now, the names are important because they describe the Trinitarian relationship. Within God, the Father is the source, and the Holy Spirit and Son come from the Father, though they are no less God. But whenever God acts, the whole Trinity acts. So in Scripture, we read that God cr spoke creation into being nearly 14 billion years ago. Let there be light. It's the whole Trinity doing it. God the Father speaks the word of the Son through the breath of the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the source of creation. God the Son is the order of creation, quantum physics, and the laws of thermodynamics. And God the Holy Spirit is the power of God blazing over and through a new universe. And it's all God. That's the point. It's all God. The Christian story tells how that creation went wrong in the hearts of human beings made in God's image. We instead chased our own pride and our desires and fell captive to sin and death. And the Christian good news, the gospel, is that instead of leaving us to our fate, God loved us. God the Father sends God the Son to become a human being, Jesus Christ. And as the God-man to do for humans what we could never do for ourselves, set us right with God. But that was the whole trinity too. Because God the Father sends God the Son, who takes on flesh, is conceived of in the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit who descends on Jesus, who was truly a human being, descends on Jesus to empower his earthly ministry. Now, it's Jesus' death on the cross that sets us free from our sin. It's his resurrection that breaks the power of death over human beings. But if you stop there, you're missing the point. Because the good news isn't just a legal ruling like we were in time out with God and now because Jesus died, we're not. The good news is that God has loved us and saved us, which means we can have eternal life with God. And that's precisely what the Holy Spirit does. It gives us that divine life here and now. The Holy Spirit unites us with the Trinity, catching us up into God's eternal relationship of love. This brings us to the second point, our reading from John's gospel this morning, how the Holy Spirit unites us to the Trinity. 
I'd really encourage you to follow along in your pew Bible. It's page 109 toward the back or your Bible app. Chapter 14, verses 15 to 16. It's Jesus' last night alive, and in a couple of hours, he's going to be betrayed by his friend. Tomorrow, he'll be dead on a cross, and he's giving his disciples, his students, and friends some final instructions. Just before our reading begins, he's telling them, I'm going away, I'm preparing a place for you. Uh, you, You're you're going to follow me, but not yet, and none of them clock his meaning. They, They don't get it. They don't know what's about to go down. And that's where our reading begins. And I'm not going to go through it verse by verse because, to be honest, this passage is a bit roundabout. It's a bit circular, and it's easy to get lost. So instead, I want to give you a paraphrase of what Jesus is about here. He basically says two things in these verses. The first is a statement of fact. Jesus says what it means to love him. And the second is a promise. Jesus says what he will give to those who love him. Statement of fact and a promise. First, a statement of fact. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments, my word. And if you don't, you won't. That's the dividing line of Christianity. Love for Jesus isn't about how you'd rank him on an opinion poll or good vibes or affection for him. It stands or falls in whether you live the way he says you should. And you might bristle at that idea, understandably, because love equals obedience. That's not how most of our loving relationships work, nor should they but none of us is God in the flesh. And maybe it changes things when you remember that Jesus taught a lot of stuff, a lot of commandments, a lot of words to obey. We're going to be preaching on those in a series this fall. But his fundamental commandment was to love each other the way he had loved us. At bottom, that's the litmus test of loving Jesus. Do you love each other the way he loved us? To love Jesus is to obey him. And to obey him is to love like him. Loving Jesus, obeying Jesus, means sharing in his love. So don't sing songs about how fond you are of me, Jesus says, if you're harboring a grudge against your neighbor. Don't pray saying, Jesus, I love you, if you won't give the needy what they need. That's the first thing Jesus is saying here, and it's a statement of fact. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Where this really gets good, where this really gets mind-blowing, is the second thing that Jesus is saying here. And it's easy just to blaze through these words, right? You're reading the Bible, you just go through them, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's focus on them. If you love me by obeying my commandments, Jesus says, two things are going to happen. First, I will ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. The world doesn't know him, but you will because he's with you and he will be in you. And take that in. Jesus asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to live in the hearts of those who love him. The Holy Spirit has been blowing through the universe like a divine hurricane for billions of years. The same Holy Spirit is going to come and stay in the heart of the one who obeys Jesus' word? Will straight up move in? Jesus calls the Spirit the advocate. It's a word that indicates someone walking at your side, helping you, guiding you. But we're not just talking about any helper here. Jesus doesn't send us like a spiritual intern. This is God, the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit whose wings blew galaxies into existence. The same Spirit who descended on dust and lifted up living beings. Keep my word, Jesus says, and the God, the Holy Spirit, will be in you. And that Spirit will help you walk the walk. That Spirit will bring to mind Jesus' teachings, His commandments. The Spirit will help you find strength to follow them. The Spirit will pray with you and for you even when you can't pray for yourself. In the Holy Spirit, 
God is as near to you as your next heartbeat, your next breath. And you're thinking, yeah, the Holy Spirit. No, like right now, the Holy Spirit in you. Because you see, God the Father is the source of all flesh. And Jesus the Son takes on flesh. But it's God the Holy Spirit, the holy breath of God, who inhabits the flesh of all the faithful. And that would be enough. Well, actually, that would be more than we could possibly ask or imagine. But God gives yet more. Because Jesus also says this, and honestly, just try and wrap your mind around it. Like, if this story is true, this is what we're saying. Nothing less. He says, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we, that's Jesus and the Father, will come to them and make our home with them. Make our home with them. Love Jesus, keep his word, and God the Father and God the Son will come and make their home with you. The Holy Spirit in you, the Father and Son with you. In good times and in bad, you will have the consolation of God in and around you. It feels like peace. If you love Jesus, you go through life filled and surrounded by the living triune God. And it's like you're walking through life and it seems solid, but then the Holy Spirit opens a glass floor in the ground of your heart and you look down and you discover that your real life, not the collection of cares and concerns and grievances that we, usually, that we mistake for real life, your real life is actually standing over a sea of infinite love and eternal life. That's what's real. This wood and this stone, it might seem real. That's what our senses tell us. But I tell you that if we had eyes to see, the roof and floor would roll away and we would find ourselves suspended between heaven above and hell below. And we would understand the true stakes of existing, the sheer wager that it is simply to draw breath. And we would hear a billion, billion angels calling us home. So what do you do? How? Well, it's painfully simple. Keep Jesus' commandments. How do you know what Jesus' commandments are? Read what he said and then do it. It's right there in the Bible. You could start with the four Gospels. They're not a long read. And a rhythm of life can help you flesh this out. It's five ancient spiritual practices oriented around precisely this, keeping Jesus' word in every aspect of our lives. It's about living in a way that keeps us aware of God's presence. There's still room in the workshop on Wednesday. Do sign up online. If you can't make it, we'll have another one in the fall. But in the end, all the doing, the keeping of his word, boils down to where your heart's at. Because all our hearts naturally wander. As scripture says, our hearts chase after the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Which basically means the stuff that feels good and looks good and makes us feel good about ourselves. Our hearts naturally love ourselves, not Jesus. And so the entire work of the Christian life, of keeping God's word, can be summed up by the continual turning and turning and turning within your heart back to loving Jesus. Now exactly what that work of keeping Jesus' word looks like for you is going to depend significantly on where you're at in your journey toward Christian maturity. So let's talk about three basic steps as we wrap up. Baptism, turning from sin, and attention to your heart. Step one is baptism. There's no way around it. Jesus told us to get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can work in your life without baptism, but it's in baptism that we receive the Holy Spirit to live in us. Because when we get baptized, we're doing what Jesus said to do. We love Jesus by keeping his word. We receive his promise. There's no substitute. 
you want to get baptized, come talk to me or Jenny or Ben. If you're living with significant ongoing patterns of sin in your life, keeping Jesus' word is going to look like renouncing them. So turning away from the dishonesty, the greed, the gluttony. Turning away from the affair, the porn, the promiscuity. Turning away from the grudge, the jealousy, the hatred. They'll be the death of you. But you already know that. Because the Holy Spirit told you, even though you haven't listened. And I know, because I've been there. And the way you renounce these patterns of sin isn't by gritting your teeth and trying harder. The way you renounce them is by crying out to the Father through the Son with the Holy Spirit that still lives in you no matter what you've done because you can't break God's promise for him. Help me. Help me and save me. And if you don't have patterns of besetting sin, that's good. It's nothing to take pride in because it's all God's grace, but it's good because it means you're keeping Jesus' word. And you'll have a greater sensitivity to the, increase, uh, the Spirit's movings. And for you, the work of a lifetime is the increasingly fine-tuned, Spirit-led awareness of the heart. An interior watchfulness to where your love is turning away from God and neighbor back toward yourself. And an ongoing with Jesus through the Holy Spirit about that. And you'll stumble, we all do. But you'll have someone who walks alongside you. And when you won't let the Spirit catch you as you fall... The Spirit will be there to help you back up and dust you off, remind you of Jesus' love and mercy, and help you take the next step along the way. And if you continue this walk, you will realize more and more what is truly true and really real, which is that God lives in you and around you. You will walk through life on a ground that is increasingly transparent. Someday your feet are going to fall on golden glass with the light of eternal love shining through it more and more. And on the day when your journey finally comes to an end and you take your last step and the ground of life dissolves underneath you, you will fall at last into the white, heart, white hot heart of the triune God who is your creator and savior and now familiar friend. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to whom be all honor and glory unto the ages of ages.